Well, good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter Church, where you matter to us, you matter to God. My name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter, and we're in a series right now called Summer Playlist. And the idea behind this series is simply that every road trip requires a good playlist to go along with it. We're taking a look at some of the songs, the psalms in the Bible, and we're looking at specifically these songs that were sung as the people, whole communities traveled from wherever they were from, not over to Jerusalem because it was up on a ridge, up on a mountain, as they traveled up to Jerusalem, hence uh, up, ascent, the songs of ascent. Today we're taking a look at a song that was written as a way to kind of reinforce how to, how to build a home. And, and maybe as soon as I say like, oh yeah, home building kind of deal, some of you might start to conjure up some images in your mind of maybe something like a house beautiful or uh, better homes and garden, not to be confused with good housekeeping. This one's even better. Uh, this one, HGTV. Maybe you're just thinking of anything referencing Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know what I'm talking about. Great stuff. You kind of like start to think of these image of building a house. I was a part of a church a, uh, a little while back that had actually a group. It was called the Home Builders. And I thought, I was kind of new there, and I thought, well, this is kind of a strange group to have, like a small group geared entirely towards, like, picking out, like, home finishings or something like that. I was like, that's niche. You know, that's one way to go. But I was like, no, 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 Dirk, you're taking this way too literally. It's a lot more than that, a lot wider than that. It's kind of like home builders are the people, is the group with, like, little kids in the community, and they're, like, building a house. I'd like to take that, like, 10 steps further this morning. And when I, when I make that statement, how to build a home, how to build a house, we're going to take that as, like, a lot more than that. The idea of house, that concept of home, could mean any place that you go and feel welcome. Any place that welcomes others. I'm talking about home in terms of, like, maybe it's a dorm room that you're going to move into this fall. To the extent that that feels and seems like home to you, is however much is related, however much to what you take out of this song this morning. Uh, if you're moving off campus with a group of friends and you're all renting a house together, the extent to which that feels like home is going to be built and based around what God teaches us in this song about home this morning. If you're like got kids at home, they're welcoming baby number three, and you're like creating home for them. The extent that that seems like home for them, again, comes out of Psalm 127. The, if you're moving baby number three into her own apartment somewhere, and now you're coming home to what's now called an empty nest, and you're like rebuilding home, I think this song has a lot to teach us in every season stage of life. Let's open it up. Let's go there. Let's learn how to build a home that lasts from a guy who knew nothing about it. This is going to be so good. Uh, Psalm 127. I invite you to take out a Bible. It's underneath the chairs in front of you. Otherwise, the words are going to be on the screen and we're phone friendly. So pull out a, uh, pull out a phone to look it up as well. Psalm 127. It starts off and I'm just going to read the first stanza. There's going to be two of them. And the first one says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late 
toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. A couple comments about some of the word choices in particular. The first line, unless the Lord builds the house. That word house is the Hebrew word in the language that it was written in, the Hebrew word bayet. Can I ask you to say bayet with me right now? Bayet. See, that's important because it's used so many times in the Old Testament. Granted, sometimes it's used, they refer to just like the four walls and roof over the dwelling place. Uh, that's a bayet. That's the minority, vast minority number of times that this word is used. Uh, more often, it's used as not just the four walls and roof, but the people that are located underneath that roof, within those four walls. That house is the bayet. The bayet also, it could mean not just the people living there currently, it could mean their, uh, their people, their ancestors a hundred years in the past, their future generations a hundred years into the future. That household is also the bayet. I just want us to start to see like the house, not just as a dwelling place, the roof and walls around you, but the people that are also with you. So then if you're like, wait, yeah, I don't have kids, I'm not building a house. It's like, no, 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 house, a bayet, you have, you have a bayet. This, this applies to you no matter what stage, season, whatever of life that you're in. The other one is that concept of sleep at the very end, that the Lord will grant sleep to those he loves. And when he says sleep, I don't think he's just talking about the like seven to eight hours of semi-consciousness that you hopefully get most nights. I think it's a lot more than that. I think when he's talking about sleep, he's talking about rest. He's talking about pulling back from life. He's talking about a gift of God, a blessing of God. It's after all of the, the toiling that hopefully was not done in vain in a home building that had a purpose to it, pulling back and, and enjoying this well-deserved, um, and not so much like uh, semi-consciousness, uh, sleep, but, but more like this uh, rest, this calm, this peace, this Sabbath to life. Now, the, the contrast that I, I want to paint for you between like a home where there's this concept of sleep, of rest, of peace, and one that there's maybe not. Some of you have been to a home and, and you sort of like the sense to it was, was off. And you like didn't, you didn't experience that peace there for sure. You didn't feel welcome there. You kind of open it up in the front door and it looks like a museum. And you're going, I definitely know that I should take off my shoes right now. And you're going in and you're going, wow, this place, everything has its place. And you're going like, I know that I'm not supposed to touch it. And there's just this general sense of, of unease to it. This is, a, this is a house. This is not home to you, at least not in that moment. Maybe you walk into somebody's house and it's like, well, I know I'm supposed to be here because they invited me, but I don't feel welcome here because the place looks like it's out of one of these magazines. And they've got like the open shelving concept that I love too, but my kids are going to destroy it. I just, I want you to know, like that's how, that's the deal. And you're going like, I don't feel comfortable. Like I'm on edge throughout all of this. Is the, the room in maybe your friend's house growing up that nobody was allowed into and it was like covered in plastic. It looks like a crime scene, but it's like, no, no, that's the sitting room. Don't go in there. We don't know what happens in there. Like that's the place where there's just like this general sense of unease. It's not home. That's not rest. That's not calm. 
Now contrast that with what I get to see around here every August. And this is the part that I just, I love. Because it doesn't have to do with a house. It's not a square footage thing. It's not, a, it's not an architectural thing. It doesn't even have to be where somebody lives. I get to see it at church every August. In fact, I remember distinctly the first time that I got to see somebody experience church as home. Uh, encounter was much smaller, and we were meeting in a public school cafetorium that we had rented by the hour. <laughs> it wasn't home to us at all, but it was to some of you. And, and I remember looking over, and as a late August, so like school, college was about to start, and there were two, I'm going to say bros, who hadn't seen each other very obviously all summer long, except for now, they were meeting up for the first time after being away for several months. They were meeting up first time at church, and I got to look over, and I see these two dudes that walk in at each other, and they're like, dude, and they both all the way across the place like this, and then they just give these giant hugs to each other, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it because for them, that rented school cafe auditorium, cafetorium was home. I get to see it here when people come walking up the, the front sidewalk and they've been around this community. Then they've moved away from this community and coming back. And it's not like, hey, welcome to church. It's like, welcome home. There's no handshakes. There's hugs. It's like, we're so glad that you're here. It's this peace. It's this calm. It's this rest. It's a Sabbath pullback that's like this feels right. That's what we're talking about creating. That's what we're talking about the Lord creating. Those are two words. One more. Uh, house and sleep. One more. Um, I introduced to you this concept two weeks ago when we kicked off the series together. Uh, we said that there was these little words underneath the heading where it says like Psalm 127 and then there's these little, these, uh, little words in uh, italics. Does anybody remember what that was called? I heard there's some whispers. You're confident. So I'm just going to say it for you. It's a superscription. Right? It could be a Jeopardy question. Remember? I made the same joke then as I did now. Uh, so pay attention. The superscription on this one, uh, of course, all of these Psalms that we're looking at, a song of ascent, but then this one has two words right after that, and it says, a song of ascent of Solomon. And I just, I think this is kind of a, this is an interesting subject to take on, how to build a home from a guy who famously built homes, built houses, but infamously just wrecked his own concept of home. I tell you what I mean. Solomon was one of the wealthiest individuals, wealthiest people in the history of humanity. I mean, the resources that he had available to him at his disposal, unprecedented. Uh, Solomon is a guy um, who, who not only built himself several homes, vacation homes all over his nation, Israel, but he also had the distinct honor of building the Lord's home. See, for that time, uh, 400 years previously, God had been living in a tent uh, called the tabernacle. If you want to know anything about patience, God had been camping for 400 years. And so some of you know my disdain for that. So now, he, and now it comes time to build God's house, his own bayet. And Solomon gets the honor of doing that. 
Salman gathers up these materials. He's got cedars from the forest in Lebanon a long ways away. He's got a fine craftsman cut stone from Egypt and elsewhere imported in. Everything is overlaid with gold. There's this uh, wash basin. That's not like a hand sanitizer outside, but this wash basin they call the bronze sea. Made of bronze, obviously. It held something like 30 to 40,000 gallons of water. That is a wash station. And you're going, this is a time and place when you couldn't just like Amazon building materials and like hopefully if you're a Prime member, as he probably was, it show up the next day. No, no, this took months, years of planning ahead of time. You're going, this must have taken a lifetime to accumulate just the building materials. Yeah, exactly. Not his lifetime, his father David, another king in Israel who wrote some of these songs, he gathered up all of these building materials over his entire life. Solomon continued building the materials so that one day he could do the very thing he was asked to do to build God's bayit, build God's house. Seven years, 200,000 laborers, and today's estimated value of something like $3 billion on the low side, billion with a B, $3 billion later, God's house was built. He finished it. I just want, I, I want you to see, Solomon was the guy who knew how to build a house. He knew nothing about a home. Like I said, as famous as he was for building houses, he was even more infamous for not being able to maintain a home. You could chalk 300 wives up. Cultural differences? <laughs> he was negotiating treaties with the neighboring nations. That was an expected part. He'd marry a princess, a tribal chief's daughter. Yes, something like that to solidify the agreement, the, the peace in the place, to continue the prosperity of the land. 300 wives, cultural difference, is 700 concubines. Mistresses, that's disobedience. It's very, very clear throughout his, the arc of Solomon's life this is where he went wrong. He knew a lot about building a house. He knew nothing about building a home. It's a cautionary tale of what not to do. He, he gets the part and he goes, and he kind of gets the sense he's looking at life behind him. He's looking at life more in the rear view than the windshield. And he's looking back and he goes, this is what I've gathered. Unless the Lord builds the house and he uses vain three times. It's vanity, it's empty, it's nothing. It, it all amounts to dust if the Lord does not build that home. Listen, it's nothing, it's worthless. I think this is a guy who walked out of his palace one time and he, and he took the, the streets in Jerusalem, his capital city, off the beaten path. I think this is a guy who looked in at a house and I use the term loosely because it's really more like a hut with a thatched roof, if you could call it that, and a dirt floor. And there's like seven people gathered around on the floor. There's no door. That's why he can see in. And they're gathered around this stool, and on the stool there's a loaf of bread. Now, it's that's an exaggeration because it's actually a glorified dinner roll that they're taking off from the stool and passing it around the circle. And the kids take a little piece and then they give it to a sibling, take a piece, give it to a sibling, 
take a piece, hand it to the next person because they want to make sure that everybody at least gets something. And Solomon looks inside there and he sees that scene and he sees laughter and he sees joy and he sees intimacy and he sees warmth and love in that place and service in that place. And he's looking in and going, that's home. I know because when I walk back to my house and I walk up all of those steps and throw open the front doors, I can, underneath my sandals, I can feel the cold stone permeate through. And I sit down on this long table where I have my uh, political invitees lined up and the, the wives of the night seated there. A small army of servants delivers the meal and puts it on the table. And he goes, There's, forget about acts of service, forget about intimacy, forget about warmth and joy. If there's laughter, it's at another person's expense. He looks around the table and he sees, he sees posturing, he sees favoritism, he sees insults, he, he sees a group of people who will sell each other out in a heartbeat if it means a better seat at the table for next time. And he goes, I know how to build a house. Looking back, I knew nothing about a home. I just think it'd be very helpful if you imagined your dream house. <laughs> you know, what does it look like? Walk up the driveway. If it's downtown, you take the elevator to the top floor. Throw open those doors. You walk into this spacious opening. Go into the, the kitchen, it's like restaurant, commercial grade, stainless everything. Stone counter, wood floor. Every bedroom has a connected ensuite bathroom, guest rooms. Downstairs is a home gym or not a home gym, if you specifically imagine that, right? Outside, there's manicured grounds. Every, every flower, like, hand-picked so that no matter what time of year it is, something's always blooming. And you're going, wow. Now that's a, that's a home. And Solomon is there. And he's going, no, it's not. Solomon is there and he's going, I just, I, I want to ask you, that long sprawling table made out of the, reclaimed from the shipwreck at the bottom of Lake Superior, you know, whatever it is, how many game nights were around there? And how many friends gathered? How many times did the family gather this past week, this past month? The restaurant, commercial, grade, kitchen, how many meals were prepared there? Because this isn't a house. I'm sorry, this isn't a home. It's a house. It's cold. It's empty. It's joyless. If there's laughter, it's biting criticism. Now, listen, that's not much of a pick-me-up. <laughs> the song continues. As the next stanza, he says, children, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. 
Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. I, I just, I open it up and he, start, he starts to talk about, about children. And so for some of us, it's like, dude, I was with you on the concept of home. That applies to me. I'm on my own living. I'm trying to figure out what, what home is. I love this Solomon stuff. A home is, uh, is less to do with what's served on the table and more with the people around it. I love that. If some of you are like, I am totally down, Dirk, with, with the you know, house versus home. And like, it doesn't matter how many bedrooms or how many rooms are in the house, but how many rooms in their house are filled with joy, of warmth, of love, of service, of intimacy. That's, that's my takeaway here. Children, <laughs> with, with the diversity of experience in the room, I understand that some of you are like, children, hey, you said it was phone-friendly church, right? Don't have any. I'm going to catch up on some email. Like, I get that. Just hang in there just for a minute, would you? I say, I say children, and I recognize the diversity of experience in the room, and some of you just bristle because it's like we're not going here because this is a source of such pain, of such heartache, because maybe it was a, a missed romantic connection over the years or a miscarriage. But it's just, I don't want to talk about children in the home. It's too hard. Some of you looking back and the kids are 20, 30 years old and going, they have caused nothing but pain and nothing but heartache for the last couple decades. It is too hard for me to think about children as a heritage from the Lord. I recognize there's a day huge diversity of human experience in the room today. And there was back then too. I just wonder, like, what it was it in the song that made them sing it year in and year out? You know, some people would travel for weeks to get to Jerusalem there and back. There's 15 songs of ascent, which means that if you sang a different one every time you wanted to listen to some music, you were listening to this one, what felt like constantly. And there's, and there's somebody who's traveling along with that entourage who's going, don't do 127, don't do the children one. It's too hard, not now, not this year, not next year. I don't know when I'm going to be ready. Quit singing the song. And I'm like, why? Why do they have to drill it into them again and again and again every single year in and year out when they went to Jerusalem? Why did they pick it? I think they needed a reminder. I think they knew, like somewhere along the way, somewhere in that, in that entourage, there was like somebody, that, there was some dad who was like traveling with this community, this whole group of people, the town, the village, the extended family, like everybody traveling with. There's some dad whose kid his little hands are like, dad, play with a Lego with me. Let's just build the the city, the sprawling subdivision again. And dad's like, again during game seven. Like, you've got to be kidding me. 
I think the dad needs a reminder that those little hands are so much more infinitely important than whatever's happening on TV. I think there's some, there's some mom traveling in the community that needs that reminder. Traveling that needs a, uh, that reminder that, that, that those that sticky, sandy feet traveling through the dining area is infinitely more important than the maintaining the home that needs to be featured on a magazine cover. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is me. This is mine. Um, my daughter's playing out. She's seven. Playing out in the yard learning some new soccer moves. She's doing her thing, you know. She's good. I'm going to check email, catch up on a few things um, while she's up to her stuff. And she's going like, Dad, Dad, look at me, look at me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, just you know, just a minute. She's like, no, Dad, I'll check this out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just a minute. My wife leans over and she's going, you better pay attention to her, Dirk, or she'll find a boy who will. Huh? <laughs> That's happened a few times. <laughs> I need a reminder. I need a reminder. But listen, like, like here's, the thing, here's the thing for me. When they traveled as a community, they didn't just travel as a family. I think that when Solomon is speaking about the children who are traveling, when the people are singing about the children in their community, they don't just mean theirs. It's not just my daughter or my sons, it's our daughters and our sons. When they're traveling as a community, I just, like, towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, towards the presence of God on earth, they're making their way to God or back to God in a long time as a community. Does that sound like anything we do today on the weekends? When we open up the doors of church and worship and we say, come one, come all, we're meeting God in this place and we're traveling there as a community and the kids' rooms are open where they worship, they connect, and they grow. And it's not maybe your kids on the other side of that wall, but it's our kids. It's not your kids maybe on the far side of our campus, but it's our kids. It's God's kids. It's everybody together before him. And the, and the, interesting, the interesting word that I think is, is why... Why I come at this is that when he says in that first line of the second stanza that children are, and they're not a blessing. That's like the wooden plaque I've seen, you know, in homes. That's what I hear. Children are a blessing. The songwriter doesn't choose, choose that. I think I understand why. <laughs> but no, no, he says that children are a heritage. So, something more like children are a legacy. Children are going to, are going to outlast you and me. By the time we're gone, it's them that will take over. Maybe, maybe it's yours, maybe not. It doesn't matter because they're, they're going to. They're the legacy. They will last on. It's a Chinese proverb that's, um, it's stuck with me. You know, I, I don't know, but I think there's, a, there's wisdom. Uh, if you're planning for a year, grow rice. If you're planning for a decade, grow trees. If you're planning for a century, grow people. And I think that's just so helpful as we think about investing in, growing into, developing, and not plants or trees, but, but people because of the legacy that they leave, that work that they carry out. You know, the thing is, when it came to a home building, 
especially not his own kids. <laughs> Jesus, he doesn't build a structure that changes the skyline of Jerusalem downtown. It's almost like he's not concerned with that. He pours into, he grows into, he invests into people, 12 guys. And he's there to take on the work from him that far outlasts his ministry when he left. Uh, grow people. Like pulling back, you know, we've got a song here about Solomon singing, lamenting maybe over how not to build a home. To build a home, we have to go somewhere else. Would you go to Philippians 2, verse 5? I just love this. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The same mindset as Christ Jesus. I just love the concept of Jesus gathering his 12 guys around. Obviously not his kids, but you know, someone's. Investing into them, pouring into them. At this mindset, is it fostering, I guess, two things. Fostering intimacy with them and vulnerability with them fostering this sense of being there with mealtime for them, fostering this sense of service with them as, as like only Jesus could, intimacy and service. You can build a house like Solomon or you could build a home like Jesus, the mindset of Jesus. I want to show you just, I guess, how important this is, how critical this is. Because none of us, I think, know how long it may take to like rip down the house that Solomon built in your heart. And we don't know how long it's going to take for the Lord to, to build the home that he has in mind to build in your heart. And I just want to add on some sense of expediency. This is going to be a tough story. It's a real story. And I really thought about like not sharing it because of how raw it is, how real it is. And I asked around and I got permission and I I decided, you know, we got to know because this is real life. This is so critically important. So a couple weeks ago, uh, I talked to a, a member of our community here and he shared that his wife, who I know had been struggling with some health issues for a couple of years now, was sent home with weeks, not months, to live. And we got together. We had a good cry. <laughs> And I was talking to him alone, just the two of us. And he goes, Dirk, listen, man. And he's like an older brother to me, right? He goes, Dirk, listen, when I got married, man, we stood each other. We did our vows. We, we talk about for better, for worse. I never think about what worse is. Standing across from each other, we talk about in sickness and in health. You never think about what sickness could possibly entail. And he goes, now, you know, every, now everything changes. This attitude thing of Christ Jesus, this building a home thing of, of, of Jesus, like it takes on such a greater significance now than ever before. You, you want to talk about this acts of service. <laughs> I thought I knew what that was. But, but unless, unless I get to be the one to drain her lung of fluid so that 
so that one other person doesn't, hospital technician doesn't have to come over into our house and like interrupt the, the flow of things. Like I get to do that. The, the greatest amount of service for just the slightest alleviation of suffering or discomfort and it is my joy. And that is the attitude of Christ Jesus. And he goes, I let these arguments, right, just like fester on and grow on. It's just like this low-grade burn almost at all levels that would like flare up and then, and then go away. If I knew, if I knew then what I know now, it all seems so unimportant. What I wouldn't give for one more meandering conversation or one more hearty laugh or one more lingering hug. Listen, you don't know how long it'll take to rip down Solomon's empty vain house. You don't know how long it will take for the Lord to build his home in yours. Invite God to start building home today. Maybe stand up. Let's pray to that God together. Gracious God, teach us what it means to put on your attitude. God, with those that we love the most and sometimes those that we hurt the most, show us what it means to create a home marked by warmth and intimacy and vulnerability and service and generosity and love. God, teach us by your Holy Spirit in real world examples what it means to put on the attitude of Jesus and invite you, God, to begin building our homes today.